0: You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Deitzer. This is the Sober Podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. You can always find the show notes, some posts, and all of my other tools over on decidedlydry.substack.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Hello, my sweet listener, and welcome to episode 86. At the time this is being recorded, we are just, oh my gosh, two short days away from Christmas Eve. While I have absolutely no clue where this year has gone, I am so looking forward to just slowing down with the family and experiencing the magic of the season with my kiddos. If this is your first sober holiday, my friend in joy. Oh, it is going to be magical and wonderful. I will however make sure to link some of my past episodes in the show notes below that have some tips for staying alcohol-free over the holidays just in case. If you have been alcohol-free for a while now and are feeling strong in your sobriety, my advice is still to plan ahead. I still do myself. I always pack a non-alcoholic drink And just make sure that I take care of myself the day of. If necessary, you can always have a friend or family member, you know, that you can reach out to if for some reason you find yourself tempted. And you guys, let me just say, you will never, ever, ever, ever regret waking up Christmas day rested, present, and without a hangover. Trust me. All right, let's get to today's episode. Today, I have a new friend on the show, Shelby John. Shelby is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice, where she specializes in trauma, addiction, and anxiety. With years of experience in the field, she founded Shelby John Coaching and is the happy host of the Confident Sober Women podcast. After getting sober, she became a fresh, authentic voice in the sobriety space, showing women how to build confidence and love their lives beyond recovery. Shelby is the mother to three, the wife to her high school sweetheart, and has been sober since July 1st of 2002. I would like to also please note that this episode does have a trigger warning. Shelby talks briefly about suicide in this episode, which I know can bring many emotions. If you need resources or support, please go to 988lifeline.org or call or text the number 988. Please look after yourself. Okay, my sweet friends. So excited for you to hear another inspiring and wonderful story here's Shelby. Welcome back to the show, you guys. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry. And today I have a new friend here. Hi, Shelby.
1: Hello, Jess. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. So listeners don't know this, but I actually was lucky enough to be on your podcast earlier this week. And so this is super fun to kind of, you know, switch roles. And now I get to interview you. So thanks in Mm -hmm. advance for being here.
1: You're welcome. That's right. I was thinking when we were done, we need to make sure we coordinate and like not have them come out in the same week.
0: (laughs) I know that would be really, maybe we should actually make that happen. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It'd be like double, but, um, yeah, thank you for being here. I'm just thrilled to kind of hear your story. I had the pleasure, like I said, of sharing mine over on your show, which it had been a hot minute. So, um, and judging by our conversation before we hit record, I think it's been a few minutes before you dug into your story too, right?
1: Yeah. I feel like I haven't, I've not shared in that way in a long time. So, but it's always good to do that because I think it's important to remember where we came from. Um, it helps us to know where we're going. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Thanks.
0: Yay. All right. Well, let's start off with you just kind of introducing yourself. So if you don't mind telling listeners who you are, where you live, what you do, just anything you want to share about yourself
1: sure my name is shelby john and i live in um uh, in maryland north of baltimore so kind of in the suburbs of the baltimore area Um, i have three children they are 20 18 and 16 i've been married to my high school sweetheart for uh 25 years um i'm a clinical social worker by by um Profession, I guess. And I also coach women in sobriety who have been sober for about a year or so. And we're really ready to kind of elevate and do the identity work and um, kind of emotional sobriety work after that initial phase of recovery.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, let's jump right in. So I am excited to hear your story, however far back you want to go, but um, maybe just kind of share what your history with alcohol has been. So when you started and maybe, when that relationship just kind of started to shift?
1: Sure. So um, as a young person, I was raised in a family um, that was pretty normal. Uh, My mom was divorced from my biological father. So, and um, later years, and if you ever read my memoir, I wrote a memoir last year. I talk a lot about this as being like the pretty big trauma for me, uh, kind of the abandonment by my father. I didn't realize it at the time, but that created that initial neuropathway that led to all of the things i'm not good enough and um, sent me down that path of you know kind of a raging addiction so i was always that girl that never felt good enough smart enough pretty enough thin enough for any group i was in you know on the outside things looked good people even thought i was maybe popular. I was a good athlete. You know, I was dating the, the smart guy. Um, I, you know, I went to college, all the things. Um, but on the inside, I was just a really scared little girl all mm. the time. Um, I was a late boom bloomer with alcohol in some respects. I didn't really start drinking until, really my senior year, but then really well beyond that. And definitely in college, it was off to the races for me. So uh, <laughs> I started drinking and uh, I also had problems with like food and restriction, over-exercise, perfectionism, all of those kinds of things. So they're all sort of in the same category, um, ways for me to kind of numb out, control my life, control my environment, um, whatever was going to help me try to, try to fit in, right? Try to be right. good enough, try to feel comfortable in my own skin. And uh, my, my drinking really took off in college. I, I somehow made it through. I'm not really sure uh, how that worked. I, um, I was very, uh, depressed. I was a depressive alcoholic. I became uh, suicidal. I had my first suicide attempt when I was in college in North Carolina. I transferred to come back closer to home to be near my now husband. Um, I continued to be extremely, um, extremely unhealthy. I was a very, um, sad, sick, young girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, but again, on the outside, I was doing the things, right. So right. I, um, you know, I, I graduated, I, you know, got married uh, quickly after that because that's what we did and, <laughs> um, continued on. I, I went to grad school later at the end of my addiction. Actually, I graduated in 2002, which is the same year I got sober, which is hilarious to me. Um, By then I was completely obsessed with um, being perfect at that. I got straight A's in in grad school. I was really out of control, like completely unhealthy with my alcoholism, always looking for the next drink. Um, I didn't really get in a lot of trouble till the end. Um, Hmm. I did have a second suicide attempt the year before I got sober, which was just... Um, pretty eye opening, I think, for a lot of people because nobody really knew about the first one that was very private. And so this time it was extremely public about something that was going on. We had been in counseling before, but, you know, therapy only works if you tell the truth. So yeah. that was, um, I would say, less than helpful at the time because when he called the therapist to say, you know, she's in the hospital. I think it was pretty shocked. Um, mm. so that was really uh, a tough time, I think for everyone. And then my drinking continued on for another year beyond that until, until, um, I, it ended with, uh, a pretty, pretty major legal situation that was potentially career ending. I was, um, kind of drug out of a professional level conference in Washington, DC in front of all of my peers and, um, foster care youth, and, um, I really had no idea why. Um, hmm. so, um, that was pretty eye-opening. at that point, yeah. we had to do something, you know, the family was now involved and said, you know, and then the attorney said, you know, you should probably go to treatment, um, to help yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that's what I did. I got sober kind of a long time ago. And so there was really only, uh, rehab and AA, you know, that was kind of the options that we had. Um, and that was fine for me. I, I wasn't like the kind of girl who was like, oh yeah, I have a problem. Like let's let's um let's do something about this that that wasn't my story at all i was never interested in um yeah. not drinking i was not uh i was a drink or die if i drink i'm gonna die kind of girl um so i went to rehab which was really helpful for me it got me out of my environment um I got sober. I worked a program of Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time, very pretty aggressively. Um, It took me a long time to really commit to being and what I am and who I am. I kind of walked through eighteen months of that, saying, you know, I don't really belong here. You know, I don't really have a problem. But all of the good people there continuously told me, um, you know, just keep coming back. You know, yeah, we're here for you. And you know, I did the work. I I I did what they told me because I was too scared not to. And it really did work for me. You know, I started to restore my relationships. Um, I started to, uh, change a little bit in myself, but the biggest problem for me, uh, at least in my view, uh, was just the way I viewed myself. So my negative thinking patterns were, um, really the most glaring, uh, problem of my life. So I just lacked any kind of esteem. I really felt that I was kind of like, no better than the dirt on the ground. Mm. You know, that's what I believed about myself. And so um, I had to work tirelessly on identifying what those patterns were, doing the therapy that was necessary to heal the past trauma work, and then really stepping into other modalities with time. that helped me to build that confidence and um, understand how I could find my voice in relationships, particularly because I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I used to have conversations with my husband, you know, in my head. Mm. I didn't know how to to say, you know, what I liked or I don't want to eat at that restaurant or no, I don't like the way you speak to me like that. You know, I couldn't I couldn't do that um, really at all. And so it took a really strong recovery effort as well as a community of women in recovery around me to help me learn um, how to do that. And uh, that's, to me, that is the the most life-giving and um, transformative work when it comes to recovery. And that's exactly where I love to meet women now today is in that sort of one to five year range, because we really begin to wake up, you know, early mm-hmm. sobriety is a special needs time. It has its own kind of special challenges. For me, I really had to relearn everything. I didn't know how to feed myself properly. I didn't know how to like brush my teeth twice a day, only work out a little bit at a time. I just had to relearn how to do life in a healthy way. Um, but then beyond that, it was really that, you know, that confidence and emotional sobriety piece, which, um, which takes a different kind of work. And so today, um, my life is obviously a million times different than that. I got sober, uh, when I was six months sober, I had my first baby, um, 18 months after that, I had my second baby and I had the third one two years later. So I had three kids in four years. So I did, I did sobriety just a little bit backwards. I don't recommend that, but that's how it (laughs) happened for me. Um, So I had to kind of backtrack because I was so focused on being a mommy and these, I had these three babies and it was a wonderful blessing, but I had some of my growth was stunted because of that. So at four years sober, I had my first, what I call sober bottom, where I really felt like I was kind of kind of back at the end, you know, I was, Mm. I was sort of in that desperation place. I was really feeling lost and lonely and sad. I didn't really want to drink about it, but I just didn't really want to, um, I didn't know what to do. And so, you know, I reached back out to my network and said, you know, Hey, I think I need some help. And they were right there for me and, uh, we carried on. So, uh, today, my those same kids are 2018 and 16. Uh, two of them are in college, one's a sophomore in high school. I'm still married to that man, and um, you know, we're just doing life on life's terms every single day. It's, I wouldn't say that it's um, easy or or magical. I mean, I, I we're incredibly grateful. Uh, we are blessed beyond belief. I have a God of my understanding that I believe in. That's a part of our life on a regular basis. I have, um, family and friends, everyone's healthy, you know, but just life keeps happening, you know, Yeah. three weeks ago, our water heater flooded our basement. You know, we've had to work with vendors and, um, it's Christmas and now I have to move everything out of my basement while they come on Tuesday. I also work in this office right here, uh, which is in my basement. So I'm like, well, how am I supposed to see my clients? So, you know, like it, this, yeah. it, it's just a lot of upheaval. Uh, they're going to be coming home from school on Monday. But, you know, we just kind of, I just kind of, t- when these times come, I just sort of tone it down into into one day at a time for sure. Yeah. I'm just like, you know what? Somebody who asked me something about uh, an event, I just got a text message earlier today about an event that I think is on Tuesday, Wednesday or something next week. And she was <laughs> asking about like rides or whatever. And I was like, girl, I... <laughs> cool. I guess I'm in for driving. Um, what time are we meeting? I, I barely even remembered we were doing this next week. Cause I'm literally just right here on Friday. So, yeah. um, you know, some stages are like that. Another other stages, it seems a little bit smoother, but I think in general, for most of us, maybe you can relate. That's how it goes. You know, there's Absolutely. just stuff happening. You know, you yeah. might be caring for aging parents or you've got a sick husband or your kid is struggling in school or with a friend. There's just always going to be, Things, but how we manage ourselves and particularly our emotions during all of that is really, I think, the, the temperature rating of our of our health.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Shelby, that was so good. And I think I just sat here like just nodding and like in awe of your story, because I just I love hearing people's stories because there's always something in it that I feel like we can relate to. And then there's mm-hmm. also other things where we're like, wow. I never thought of blank, you know, that way. And mm-hmm. and one of the lines that I really, I wanted to jot down while you, or right after you said it, was that therapy only works if you're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I mean, like, I know that, you know, but I have not heard anyone say that. And I think that was so powerful and such a good reminder, because even if it's not your therapist, maybe it's your spouse. Kind of like what you're saying. If I'm not communicating, honestly, right, right. They don't know, you know. And if
1: you don't speak, I work with a lot of women uh, in my practice who, who tend to come in with like, you know, my husband isn't doing this and he doesn't understand me or this that or whatever the challenge is. And a lot of times, the things that we tackle are, you know, did you really sp- let him know what you need? Yeah. Did you say, hey, um, I would really I need you to empty the dishwasher while I'm putting the kids to bed, and then we can sit down together and have fun together. Or, you know, I, I always say like people don't always see things the same way we do. Yeah. They don't walk in our house and see the landscape the same way, particularly as mothers. You know, we can see sure. the lunch boxes need to be filled, the wash <laughs> needs to be switched, <laughs> the dinner needs to be cleaned up. But if but if your husband walks in and he's reading the paper or looking at the mail you know, it's, I, I tend to think it's not his fault, you know, because this that is oh, not right. his office. Then, you know, he walks in, he might be ready to help, but he might just need some direction. And so unless you say to him, Hey, could you do this while I do this? Or, you know, like more of like, um, a partnership where we start working together, mm. um, then you're just going to get resentful.
0: Exactly. I mean, I, it's such a silly story and I don't think he listens to the show, so it's okay. But my husband came home one day and I finally just had that moment of like, okay, you guys have to put your shoes not in the entryway. (laughs) I was like, can you help me just by putting them on the shelf? And he was like, oh, like I had no idea. I'm sorry. And it was that moment where he was like, why haven't you said anything, you know, like if this bothers you so much. And it was Mm -hmm. such a great life lesson where it was like, oh, like I didn't think that like you just don't notice that, you know, and it's nothing it's not, you know, that you're a bad person. You just didn't know that that was frustrating to me. So, Mm-mm. actually, verbally letting it doesn't have to be your spouse, but anyone. Like, right. sometimes they just don't know, you know. So, I think
1: most times they don't know.
0: Most times, we're only correct. Looking at the lens
1: we're only looking at life through our own lens. Exactly. You know, we're all so different. Our personalities are different. Certain things are bothersome to us. Other things are, you know, whatever. Um, and for other people, it's the same. And those don't always match. Um, mm-hmm. And it could come down to the words people use towards you could be your, your mother or your sister or your friend who, who uses words or language towards you that are, that's hurtful, you know, and you need to say, you need to be able to say, you know, it's really hurtful to me when you say that, or please don't speak to me that way. But if you don't do that, and then you just stomp around or you get a cold shoulder or you act like kind of a jerk, the other person doesn't understand that. They don't know why you're doing that. You might think that they know, but they really don't
0: give them the opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I would love to, before I jump to my next question, I'd love to kind of backtrack. So you said that you went to treatment. Yes. Yep. Yep. And so I would love to know, cause you and I even talked about it on, um, on your show, just how, I mean, it was different, you know, when you were getting sober compared to this huge, mm-hmm. you know, sober, curious movement that has happened and all the tools that have kind of bloomed and blossomed over the past few years. So You did AA. And I would love to know, kind of like, what were some of the tools that you put in place at that time? Like, was it journaling? Was it just talking? Was it community? What were some of the things that kind of helped you take it day by day?
1: I think for me, um, having the fellowship of a 12-step uh, program was was the key. And I know we talked about this too. And I know the 12-step isn't for everybody. I totally get that. And I talk about that a lot in my work. I do still think it's really, really helpful in the beginning, though. I think it's great because it educates you a lot on... Um, the disease of addiction and also gives you a fellowship of sober people doing Mm -hmm. sober things, which is very difficult to find in a world that's completely obsessed with alcohol. So for me, I think being surrounded by people who uh, were talking about sobriety, who were, who were living that way, who were actively working on their own, um, their own selves was a a huge part of it. I mean, going to meetings was very helpful to me. I felt like it was really relatable to be able to hear people's story. I didn't agree with every single thing that went on there and that's okay too. I just listened to the feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. I was able to hear, you know, the old 60 year old man talk about how he felt like that desperation, you know and um, loneliness and I'm like, well, I felt that I get that. You know, so it doesn't have to look like me in order for me to get it. Um, That was really helpful. Um, exercise is a big part of my life. And so being able to get to a space that was, um, um, healthy with that was really important. I was really, um, part of myself in a lot of ways. So I was was kind of raised as an athlete and I was trained like that too. So I would still in regularly in sobriety was saying negative things to myself, not treating myself very well. So I had to learn how to shift that and to start to be able to, do things, um, in a little bit more moderation. So exercise is a big part of my program, Uh, focusing on, um, on wellness and healthy eating, um, focusing on sleep, um, sleep hygiene therapy. You know, I did a lot of therapy. Um, I'm not a big journaler. It's just not a part of my, I don't, I don't love it. I have done it at different stages. You know, I learned a little bit about meditation though, back then. And I started to use things like, you know, the little books we have, I mean, AA has their own, like the 24 hour book, but then there's other ones for like meditations for women or affirmation, you know, a little book that has like a thing, you know, and maybe it's Christian or biblical, or maybe it's not, maybe it's just like a you know, a statement. And then I would do that every day. You know, I'd read that every day as part of my morning routine and then kind of meditate slash pray about it and just kind of allow it to just seep, seep in. That was a big part of my kind of daily walk. I think consistency in general was just a big part of my walk, like learning to do things consistently every single day. Um, uh, was a big part of the journey in the early on the early days still is, but yeah, it's it's really critical back then.
0: I love that. And I mean, I think, that is what's so important. You know, it's just kind of creating, they always say like your sober toolbox, but that's yeah. so what it is, you know. Take pick and choose what works for you. It doesn't have to be exactly what, you know, we did personally, but like you said, you know, there were some things at AA I really loved and some that maybe just weren't for me, but I took what I knew was beneficial and helpful for my journey and I held on to that. And I love right. that. Great, mm-hmm. great, great examples. Um, okay, I'm peeking at my questions to make sure I'm staying on track. Um, big or small? What were some of those benefits that you started to see after removing alcohol? Because you got mm-hmm. pregnant shortly thereafter. Yeah. Correct? yeah. So I mean, talk about a, a different time, probably experiencing a lot. But did you start to experience, you know, some of those? classic benefits we talk about, like, was your sleep better? Did your, you know, skin clear up Were you, did you have more energy kind of all those things?
1: Uh, Yes. I think uh, um, that's, what's good about treatment too, or in general, I guess any sobriety, but like you come out and you're already, you know, 30 days clean and sober, right? That's as, and that's as sober as your body's ever going to be. Like Mm -hmm. you're never going to get any cleaner from substances than that. And so then it's just more of that emotional work. But yes, I felt like um, sleep is, I, I think, very challenging in early sobriety. It did get better. But then, yes, so then I got pregnant. And I can honestly hardly even remember those days. It was such a blur. <laughs> um, but everything does, I just feel like everything does get better. Mm-hmm. Um, but in time, you know, and then there's some parts of us that need need more support. I think socially, um, it was an interesting time. You know, my husband chose to not drink, cho- chose not to drink as well with, in support of me. And, uh, he doesn't have a problem with alcohol, but he made that decision, which was really helpful. And, and we were able to create a home that was alcohol free and uh, very safe and comfortable. And that felt really good, you know, mm-hmm. um, being supported in that way. And, Um, I'm not one that really had a problem being around, um, other people who were drinking. I'm thankful for that since most people in my life are pretty heavy drinkers. Um, and so I, I didn't have to like restrict my access to, to going to places or, um, you know, holidays and stuff. But I did notice I, I was more sensitive to, um, people's behaviors. And so, you know, I just learned that I don't I don't um stay past like ten o'clock most places, you know, or nine, you know. Yeah. Um, and I usually had, especially in the beginning, I always had a plan, you know, like if I need to drive myself, or I would have, you know, people I could call, or you know, step outside or whatever if I needed to. But um, yeah, I think I, I think things just generally do get better. I remember mm. at one point, I think it was my mom or somebody, somebody in my life said, "Wow, you um you're really smiling a lot," and I thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. Um, I must not have been smiling very much. And like, it was obviously oh, noticeable to somebody else. So yeah. yeah.
0: Those things that others pick up that maybe we just had no idea.
1: <laughs> I think we're usually the last to know about most things.
0: Most things. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, that it happens kind of at a different rate, you know, and I really respect that. And I love when people come on here and are honest like that, where it's like, you know, sometimes it takes time you know you might you know decide to get sober and you know day 10 let's just say you might not be sleeping well still but just give your body time give everything time because it all does get better
1: it, oh yeah it does like I, I can tell you in treatment in those first 30 days when you are kind of cleaning out I I was not well hmm. you know my mind and my, body were were out of control I was spent two hours a day on the treadmill I I was completely uh insane. <laughs> you know, and I think it was just detox and sure. your brain and body sort of recalibrating. I mean, our body is designed to completely heal itself, but you know, that was happening. And, and then it's sort of this like, I don't know what's going on. Um, crazy kind of agitated on edge feeling. So for sure, for those days, it was a lot. But, um, uh, then after that, like I said, you sort of settle in and that's, that's as sober as you're ever going to get.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, We talked about kind of all those benefits that you started seeing eventually and all the things that kind of came about, but I would love to know kind of current time or recently, whatever you want to share, but like, what are some of the big things in your life that have been made possible because of that one decision to remove alcohol? Like whether they be accomplishments or jobs or, or just anything, any milestones, anything you'd like to share?
1: Sure. Well, as this, as a person who was uh, more of like a, a depressive kind of style drinker, uh, I never expected to live to be thirty. You know, mm-hmm. I just didn't expect that to be my story. And so, um, obviously, I'm well past that now. And uh, so that I think is you know just and and I try to remind myself that on a regular basis. Like if I'm having a hard time or I start to feel myself slip into that a little bit of that self centeredness or kind of pity party, which let's face it does happen at times. I quickly say, you know, I never really expected to be here. So, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do, or I'm just going to just focus on gratitude. Um, So for me, that's obviously a big, a big thing. And because of that, then everything else trickled down. Right. Then I was able to have a family. Um, I was able to, I was able to, I I don't know if save my marriage is the right word, but maybe he would say so. Um, but (laughs) but there was a lot that was going on. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was kind of like at the end of his rope too. And like, would have probably been fine with just being like, well, this is not worth it, but, um, he hung in there and, you know, we all know this too, from the research that the whole entire family or the system is all sick, right? So that's not, the identified patient is obviously, um, the alcoholic or addict, but, but everyone else around you is also kind of in a sickness too, you know, whether it's denial and enabling all of these things. And so, you know, I was, I'm grateful that he was able to step into that role of healing with me, um, Mm -hmm. and really take that journey together. And, um, we've done that many times now throughout the last 25 years, because ages and stages, right? Like certain times we need extra support and extra help. And, um, I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And then of course I was able to just, um, be a mom, you know, a present mom. I mean, I, my kids never saw me drink, so I'm really thankful for that. And, um, you know i was able to work and then stay home with them for six years and then build a practice slowly but surely as they got a little bit older and uh, you know since then it's just been like off to the races right I, I do believe that the world is our oyster most of the time when we really do decide to put the effort and the consistency behind what it is we say we want um we we can we can work towards it um mm-hmm you know, I, I've done a lot of really fun things. I've, I've run five marathons. I, I wrote a book last year. I started a podcast. I, yeah. you know, I have a, a, a business and I've gone to travel and do business things, um, events. I did a TEDx talk this past year. And so lots of fun, um, fun, exciting things because to me, it's amazing what can go on in one lifetime, you know?
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, it's amazing what we can do.
0: Those are big ones. You saved some pretty big ones towards the end too. 5 marathons?
1: Oh, that was earlier. I've had, okay. that was a long time still, ago. Still.
0: Still. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And the, I had a oh, fun
1: time with that. I'm done with that now.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Checked that box, right? <laughs> well, that's amazing. And and I mean, that is like the second part of my favorite or my second favorite part of these chats is just, you know, is hearing the story, because our stories are so important. And then looking at all of the good. I mean, just giving the listener hope, you know, and Mm -hmm. an opportunity to say, wow, like I could do that. I could do that. You know, I could make this change today or continue this change, and I could really accomplish something pretty remarkable. So I love when my guests come and just share what they've done. And I mean, let's face it, being a mom or just... Working on being happy, those are huge, too. You know, you don't need to go out and run the marathons if that's not you. You know, just choosing to wake up alcohol-free every day, like, talk about a huge accomplishment.
1: yeah, we all need to find what feels good to us, you know, and and even like living out loud, you know, we ha- we're all in this recover out loud and, you know, tell your story. Like, I, I love all that stuff. I'm fully immersed in that world now. I was not for many years because I grew up in AA and it's anonymous. And like, I was really, I had a complex around that. And it took me a while to kind of break free and be able to be like, you know what? No, I'm allowed to do that. But not everybody wants to tell their story publicly. Not everybody wants to write a memoir and air their entire life out to the whole public. You know, that. That's that's not everybody's and it's not a necessary part of life. Like if you're raising kids or even if you're not, if you're just doing your life, if you're if you're finding your purpose, if you're, you know, working and contributing to society and maybe you're being charitable and doing some service work, you know, um, that that's awesome. You know, I think it's great. Also, uh, this week I was, I was having some fun on social media. I put a question in, I have a Facebook group and then I put it also on my personal page. So I was like, why the heck not? Um, And I said, like, tell me what's the best thing um, about being a living a sober lifestyle. And I got, especially my personal page. I don't even know how many, I mean, so many people commented. It was so fun because. Uh, it was all women, and yeah. uh, I mean, most. So many of them were like, "My kids, I'm present for my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids have never seen me drink, or I'm a better mom, or you know, uh, the freedom that kept coming up. Freedom. Sure, um, sure. I I can remember things. I I have choices today, and I just was delighting in all of these incredible positive responses about what it's like to what the benefits of yeah. of living an alcohol free lifestyle.
0: Um, were there any my... surprising ones or funny ones or things you hadn't heard in a while?
1: Um,
0: oh gosh, put you, you know. on the spot. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't know if anything specifically stood out. A lot of people like the surprising or things that I forget about because it's been so long or just like, um, not remembering what you were doing. I was a blackout drinker, so, yeah. um, I can relate to it, but I just don't think about it very often. So when sure. they said, you know, remembering what I did last night, you know, or not having to look at my text messages or, or you know, ask other people like what went on. I was like, Oh, I remember that. Like there was no text oh. messages when I got sober, but it right. was not a good scene.
0: Oh my goodness. I might have to try that. I might steal that ad and see if, uh, if I get some fun answers too, or just, I bet it was kind of just fun seeing that, that list come in well, not a, only that people are experiencing also. it.
1: <laughs> and it was also just wonderful to see, cause I'm, friends with, maybe you are too, just through business or whatever. So many people on Facebook, cause that's where my community is. Yeah. So I don't, but I don't always know all of these women or who's really sober or not. Cause I don't, I, I don't spend that much time investigating it. So now I'm like, look at all these people who responded at like 20, 30, however many there are. These are all sober women right here on my Facebook page that I can right. now like connect with.
0: Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I mean, when I decided to get sober, I didn't think anybody else was a non-drinker. I knew of maybe like one person out of my group and that was it. Mm -hmm. And so to be in a place now where it's like, there's so many making this decision just to, to live alcohol free. It's pretty beautiful. I Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, my dear, I am on my last question and this is another, well, they're all my favorites. I just love these conversations. So I would love for you to share to so the one or many that are listening right now and feeling kind of that urge, that inspiration to make a change in their life, what advice would you give them? Where should they start? Do
1: you mean any change or an alcohol f- change?
0: Both. Let's do both.
1: Um, well, I would say if you're if you're out here thinking, I think I have I have an issue with alcohol, or I think I would like to change my relationship with alcohol. Um, I would encourage you to run with that, you know, because uh, one thing's for sure. And again, um, this is just my story and everyone's coming from where they are. I was told in rehab too, like normal drinkers don't think about their drinking. You know, they don't think about um, it being a problem or they don't they don't think about, you know, how many drinks they had. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And so if that's coming up for you, then that's a pretty good indicator that something's going on. So I'd say go with it. Um, I always do recommend um, people go to AA. I just think it's really important in the beginning to find that fellowship first. Now, we don't have to stay there forever. It's not a life sentence, a prison sentence. It's it's really just a place to learn and to get connected with other sober people. What happens after those first six months to a year is kind of up to you. You might fall in love with it or you might be like, you know what? I, I need other things. And then you can start layering in, you know, um, programs like, you know, she recovers, or the thinking mind, or you know, we are the luckiest. You know, there's so many other kind of programs. They're all based on very similar concepts, just with different language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage you to step into a community of a that has a fellowship of people doing sober things, because otherwise, it's going to be really, really hard to white knuckle it out there on your own. And it's honestly just unnecessary. It's Mm -hmm. unnecessary in this time to ever be navigating that by yourself. Absolutely. Um, As far as any other change, I would just say that um, it takes uh, very tiny micro level baby step changes that are done consistently every single day over time to create huge transformation. So if you um, have a change you want to make, that's pretty big. Like I want to run a marathon. This is an example I always use because it's very easy to kind of visualize. I want to run a marathon by the end of this year. Okay, cool. Well, then you need to back into that. You need to back all the mm-hmm. way into it, all the way to today. So a marathon training plan is typically 16 to 18 weeks, maybe longer if you're not um, super active. So you you first you get a training plan, and you map that out, and then you need to look at where would you need to be three months out from the marathon? Well, you'd probably be, need to be running, you know, you know, at least a 15 miler on the weekend, maybe 50, 60 miles a week, what do I need to be doing six months prior to that race? Well, I'd really be needing to learn about nutrition and like maybe just working out in general all the way back up into today. And if today you're on the couch and you're like, this is, this seems enormous, then you can choose one tiny micro change. And that might be go to the store and get a new pair of sneakers and an outfit and then go outside and do a walk jog for a mile. And then tomorrow you do the same thing you know, yep. and then the next day you do the same thing. And then over five, seven days, now you can run an entire mile with no problem. Um, it's, a, it's very interesting how fast these types of changes do happen over time. It's just that we don't consistently do the thing every single day. And then we want to say it didn't work or, All or nothing. can't yeah. do it, you know? <laughs> and you're like, well, did you do it every day? Because if you did it every day, you know, literally six months from now, you'll be able to run five, 10 miles at a time, no problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so true. And I'm a runner too. And so I totally get that. And the marathon and running and that whole example is just, it, it's easy to understand it's applicable, you know, and just getting out that front door, lacing up and taking that first step
1: mm-hmm. is exactly
0: what you got to do. Yeah. So, Shelby, this was so fun. I just want to tell you thank you again for coming on the show. It was such a blast chatting with you. If people would like to get in touch with you, if they would like to listen to your podcast, I will of course have all the links in my show notes. But where's the best way for them to find you?
1: Sure. So um I hang out on Facebook mostly because I have a Facebook group there. It is called Confident Sober Women. It's a free private group that women can come into and just hang out, um, talk to other people, learn a little bit. Um hear kind of more about what's going on with me. Um, so I'm on Facebook a lot. You can also access the most anything about me on my website. It's www.shelbyjohncoaching.com. And the podcast is called Confident Sober Women as well.
0: I love the name. We haven't even talked about that. I love the name. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'll have all of those show notes or all of those links in the show notes below. And if you guys are listening and you're curious about getting sober... Just make that first step. Thank you, Shelby.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for pushing play today and hanging with me. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. Grateful for this message and want more? Head on over to decidedlydry.substack.com. There you will find all of my writing, a library of past episodes, and an option to subscribe. That gives you access to many, many more tools for not only your sober journey, but for all areas of your amazing life. It has sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.